Hello and welcome to the Rachman Review. I'm Gideon Rachman, Chief Foreign Affairs Commentator of the Financial Times. Recent weeks have seen the most widespread anti-Putin demonstrations in Russia for many years. But this week, Alexei Navalny, the leader of the Russian opposition, was sent to jail for three and a half years. Joining me from Moscow this week are the FT's correspondent Max Seddon and Arkady Ostrovsky, author of a prize-winning book, The Invention of Russia, and a staff journalist for The Economist. So will the imprisonment of Alexei Navalny put an end to the Russian protest movement? Alexei Navalny has been a thorn in Vladimir Putin's side for many years. He first came to prominence in 2011 and 2012 during anti-government protests. A decade later, and Navalny's profile had been raised to the point where he was clearly the main leader of the opposition to President Putin. Over the summer, events escalated after Navalny was poisoned on an internal flight in Russia. We're getting reports that opposition politician Alexei Navalny is in a coma in a Siberian hospital with suspected poisoning. Miraculously, Navalny survived the poisoning attempt, which he and most experts blamed directly on the Russian government. After a period recuperating in hospital in Germany, Navalny flew back to Russia, where he was instantly arrested at the airport. His supporters wished him luck as the police led him away. To coincide with his return to Russia, Navalny and his supporters released a devastating video revealing what they claimed was an opulent palace built for President Putin by the Black Sea. Millions of Russians have watched the video on YouTube and the palace itself has become the subject of ridicule and satire, such as this popular song about one of its alleged features, an act of disco built for the delectation of the Russian president. As well as mockery, there's been anger. Despite the pandemic and the harshness of the Russian winter, Navalny's arrest has triggered demonstrations right across the country and mass arrests by the police. This week, Navalny was sentenced to prison. At his sentencing, he denounced President Putin as a thieving little man. For many outsiders, the bravery of Navalny to survive an assassination attempt and then to return to face prison is astonishing. Both Akadi Ostrovsky and Max Seddon know him well, so I started by asking them about Navalny's decision to return to Russia. Here's Akadi Ostrovsky. He is fighting for power. He is fighting against Vladimir Putin. He knew perfectly well that he couldn't stay abroad. That would be the end of his political career uh, because he would have turned into sort of political exile. And there are very few examples of those coming back. I mean, if you don't count Lenin. But I think what drives him is a sense that history is on his side uh, and he's willing to stake his life on it and his freedom. What he's done, I think completely consciously, is to radicalize Russian politics and to raise stakes beyond anything we've seen in the past years. Russia is today much more, the politics in Russia are much more radical, and that's the doing of effectively one man. Yeah, I mean, and of course, it's his extraordinary bravery, which is partly what inspires people. And I, I mean, I think you saw him in Berlin when he was still in hospital after the attempted poisoning, Akali, is that right? 
I saw him just after that. I actually, he wasn't in hospital, but I saw him in Berlin and, and I flew back with him from Berlin on that lower cost airline called Pabieda, the victory, back to Moscow. Uh, but he, yeah, I mean, it, it is, you're right. I mean, it is extraordinary courage, determination and bravery. And Max, I mean, you've also spent time with Navalny and in a rather memorable lunch with the FT. I mean, he made the point that perhaps what marked him out was his willingness to take extraordinary risks. Do you think he's reconciled to the idea that he may spend not just three years in prison, but there may be another sentence he could be in prison for a decade, yeah? Absolutely. After he came back and was arrested, I spoke to a few people from his inner circle, and they said, obviously, he knew that some version of this was likely, but he felt that he didn't have a choice. And over the you know decade or so that I've, I've known him, something that's been very noticeable is that since uh, about 2012, 2013, which was with the Kremlin's first real efforts to try to silence him, he has been through so much that he is really ready to go all out to fight the regime. I think it really demonstrated that this is something for him that's personal now between him and Putin, because he thinks that Putin gave the order to kill him and he wants to get Putin back. Pretty much the first thing he did after he came to I was told in his hospital was uh, he he ordered his investigative team to find some corruption linked to Putin as a form of not so much retaliation, but showing Putin that he wasn't going to give in. And I think the other thing you have to bear in mind is uh, something that he hasn't talked about that much in public. But this case that he was jailed under this week, he was convicted in 2014. He got a suspended sentence for his brother who had no history of political activism whatsoever, but was involved in this business venture that they were being tried for. He was sentenced to three and a half years in jail, quite a lot of which he spent in solitary confinement. His, uh, his wife left him. He couldn't get a job. He couldn't even op- open a bank account because he was a politically exposed person in a lot of Western countries. And this was something that made this whole fight very personal for Navalny. The fact they went after his family, he said it was like hostage shaking, this attempt to scare him off. And he really does believe that he's in the right. And I think so much of that is what is driving him. He really thinks that whatever happens to him, the truth will win out. And Arkady, I mean, as you and Max both point out, he's made this, or maybe it just is, a very personal struggle between him and Putin. How damaged do you think Putin has been? I mean, Navalny and his team have released this extraordinary video about this luxurious palace by the Black Sea, and he gave a speech in which he ridiculed Putin from the dock. Do you think Putin's image, so carefully built up, can recover from this? I don't think it can, to be honest. We're not talking about something that will happen here immediately. The Kremlin has plenty of resources, both in terms of repressive mechanism, you know, more than a million riot police and security services. It has the money. What it's lacking is legitimacy. And I don't think that can recover and the effects of the loss of that legitimacy will show more and more in the months and possibly years to come. You're right that it is, in one sense, it is a very personal battle between two men, Vladimir Putin and Alexei Navalny, but politics are very personalized in Russia. But behind those personalities, you know, there is a clash and there is a fight of agendas and ideas and control over media. So it's actually, it's much wider. In the historic perspective, it will be much wider than just the fight of the two men. They do represent two very different visions of Russia. They represent two very different generations. 
one of the reasons that Putin is losing out is precisely because his core support is, is shrinking and it's now concentrated in the age group 55 plus who receive their news from television, over which the Kremlin has complete monopoly. But the monopoly of television itself over the agenda and the news has been completely destroyed by the internet and by Navalny, who completely dominates that space. And this film exposes that, and Putin is losing legitimacy, and I don't think the Kremlin has many good options. The more violence it resorts to, the greater the damage is going to be. One of the most striking things about this whole drama is that it's Navalny who sees the initiative. Navalny, who is now behind the bars, is actually in the driving seat and putting you know, this massive security regime on, on the offensive. Ever since his poisoning, Russian politics have changed. It's now decisions are taken and politics are decided by a clique of security men who are usually not very good at that. Yeah, and, and Max, though, I mean, the people around Putin and the argument they, they always make is that, well, you know, this is a kind of urban uh, metropolitan phenomenon and that maybe uh, some of the Moscow middle classes will turn out to demonstrate, but Navalny's real support in broader Russian society is quite thin, that Putin remains very popular. Is there anything to that? I think Navalny is showing that this is starting to change. What these last protests have really done is that they've shown how he has tapped into an anger that is much broader than about anything to do with him and goes far beyond his own ostensible support base. Real incomes right now, uh, this just came out last week, are about 10% below the level that they were in 2013 before the annexation of Crimea. And the government hasn't had anything to offer people in response. Russia had one of the smallest coronavirus stimulus packages. And uh, one, one of the reasons why the infection rate is so high is that they haven't really done a proper lockdown because the alternative would, would be they'd have to pay people to stay home. And Navalny for the last few years has made a big effort to try to tap into this. He said in court yesterday that, you know, why is this happening? Is because, you know, we have 20 million people living below the poverty line. We have millions of other people who are making 20, uh, 30,000 rubles a month, which is about four or $500. And just about everywhere outside Moscow, things are deteriorating. People upset, but they don't know how to voice their anger because the Kremlin scares them off with show trials like the one being used against him. And I think what's interesting is that Navalny obviously has this big regional network that for years he's used to set up protests, but it only has offices in something like 45 different cities and towns. And we've seen protests in about 125 different places. So that if you shut down the Navalny network, that still gives you dozens and dozens of places where the protests haven't been organized by Navalny's people and where there's clearly capacity to do it. So Arkady, I mean, Max there's talking about the regional spread of these protests. You just spend a little time outside Moscow. How much resonance do you think this is having outside the big cities? Well, um, two things. One is, uh, obviously, it's, it's now way beyond Moscow and St. Petersburg. I mean, the biggest difference between the protests w which we've seen in the past two weeks on two consecutive weekends and what we saw in 2011 and 12 when there were big protests in Moscow is that then it was very much sort of Moscow quite affluent middle class that was protesting against Putin's return to the Kremlin as president, etc. 
Today, the biggest difference is just how widespread it is. It's not the numbers. I wouldn't expect much higher numbers given the repressive nature of the regime. But the geography is really quite staggering. I mean, from Vladivostok on the Pacific coast to the Baltic Sea in St. Petersburg, taking in Siberia, taking in much of the central Russia, it now is a nationwide protest. So that's number one. The second thing is, this doesn't at all contradict to what actually you've said. Yes, Navalny is very much an urban phenomenon. That's part of his strength, and that's very much his idea, is that Russia is a highly urbanized country. People live in cities. People don't live in just regions, 89 regions that Russia have. People live in cities, and that's where the power should be devolved to. And that's really interesting and new thing, because Russia's problem in comparison to former Soviet republics has always been the difficulty of becoming a nation state because it is multi-ethnic, because it is a former empire. And trying to find this unifying national idea has always been very difficult. Uh, Russia is not United States. It's over-centralized. It's not federal in nature, only in name. And Navalny's idea that this should be a movement of big cities, and it's the cities that should bring the country together, it's the urban classes that should be his main support base is a quite a novel one. You know, he can't say Russia must be a nation state, even if that's what he means, because that would alienate hell of a lot of people. But if actually he says Russia is a country of great cities where people should have prospects, where there are educated classes, it's a civic nationalism, it's a, it's a nationalism of citizens. In that sense, it's much closer to 1849 French bourgeois revolution than it is to 1789. That idea is actually catching, you know, for people in their 20s and 30s, and that's the main age cohort of those who came out, the idea that this is our city and we are the power here and we must live by the rules that we choose is a very strong one. Nonetheless, Navalny is now going to prison for three years, perhaps for longer if he gets sentenced for other things. Probably for much longer, yeah. Do you two think, to finish that this act of repression will in the end deliver for Putin, that for all the undoubted energy and passion that Navalny has managed to mobilise, that the regime will prevail. Max, do you think that actually, when it comes to it, this repression may work? I think in the short term, the Kremlin is certainly gambling that it will. If you look at what happened the night that Navalny was sent to prison, there was a protest of uh, a couple thousand people in central Moscow down by the Bolshoi Theater, and it was really viciously beaten up by riot police in ways that we've never really seen in Russia before. It's much more like Belarus, where they will whack people with rubber batons, use tasers. There was a guy in a taxi who drove past and said something insulting at the cops, and then a dozen cops surrounded the taxi, dragged out the passenger and the driver, and beat them both up and the rest of them, all in the view of video cameras. And I think the Kremlin probably thinks that this is a success because what would have been a short-term victory for Navalny would have been if they'd arrested him and the protests had been sufficient enough like they were in 2013, the first time they tried to imprison him when there was a protest of about five, maybe 7,000 people outside the Kremlin, which for the time was a very big number. Or in 2019, there was this journalist, Ivan Golonov, who was arrested on obviously fake drug charges and the Kremlin released him after a few days because they basically gave in to these large protests. 
that's clearly not going to happen this time. If there were 100,000 people out in the street, then maybe the result would be different. But for now, what Navalny has been able to summon on the streets isn't enough to change the Kremlin's calculus on here. Their resolve is much stronger. They seem to have decided that he is an evil CIA agent and a traitor, and so no methods are too harsh in dealing with him. The editor of Rush Today actually went on our own network and said, obviously this isn't really because of these fraud charges that he's being jailed. It's because of Western intelligence. They've been overthrowing governments in our neighboring states, and now they're trying to overthrow us. And it was about time that we put a stop to this. And it's really become an existential question for Putin just as much as it is for Navalny. So is it possible that anger could grow, that you see more people on the streets? Yes, but are we at the stage where it's like Belarus, where Lukashenko really managed to anger a majority of the population to the point where they would go out and protest against him? We're not there yet. Arkady, what do you think? Do you think that in the end, Putin is, is likely to prevail? Well, it depends entirely on your time frame. I agree with Max. In the short term, yes. And if anything, the lesson that the Kremlin has learned from neighboring Belarus is that you can have a rating of 10% or less, but if you show force, you can stay in power. So in the short term, yes. In the longer term, absolutely not. You know, Russia is not China in a sense that it does have elections. And that is a problem. And it does have free internet. And both of those forces are moving against the Kremlin. I think historically, this process, they can arrest it for a bit. They can't turn this tide because Navalny, I think, is right. It is a historic tide. And we're now sort of counting down. I don't think the street action itself, and I think this is very important to understand, in a way, we're looking at the wrong thing. The change here is not going to happen through street protest. I mean, street protest is part of it, but it will, you know, it will happen through splitting within the elites, split between uh, regional and the central elites. The people on the streets are simply showing to some of Putin's entourage and people within Russian ruling classes that they are the natural allies, that there is the social force to be capitalized on. Russia will have elections parliamentary elections in September. And Putin doesn't rule just through repressive mechanism. He does need to have his party, United Russia, to have an absolute majority. I don't think that's going to happen. Or if they rig it, it will be just so obvious. And equally, in 2024, if Putin decides to stand again uh, or chooses to transfer power from himself to himself, when he comes out and say, hey, I, I got 80%, clearly nobody is going to believe that. So I think historically, it's absolutely impossible to turn this tide. But whether it happens in two years' time or five years' time or 10 years' time, you know, to history, it doesn't matter. I mean, what is 10 years to history? 10 years to Alexei Navalny's life and to the life of his family is hell of a long time. I think in terms of a historical perspective, Navalny thinks he's already won. Like the thing he said about how Putin will go down in history is Vladimir the poisoner of underpants. That's going to follow Putin for the rest of his life and well beyond it. That was Max Seddon and Arkady Ostrovsky speaking to me from Russia and ending this edition of the Rachman Review. I hope you'll join us again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you could tell a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find the Rachman Review in all the usual podcast apps.